0: Well, hello there, and welcome back from the Independence Day holiday. It was probably hard to come back, wasn't it? I mean, I, I can't be the only person who was struggling to resume life and, you know, face the daily grind and everything after such an incredible weekend. And, and by the way, I'm going to temper what I'm saying here about what an incredible weekend it was. With It was also kind of a surreal weekend as well, because it was, it was the most curious mixture of celebration and reflection that I can remember in my lifetime and where do we begin why don't we start with what could have well been the biggest night of fireworks ever now it's funny my my son has not been at home for the last uh, i think about the last uh, two summers so he missed out on the 4th of July and i was trying to tell him hey you know this is this is something that uh, you're going to really be amazed at how seriously our neighborhood takes this 4th of July celebrating because every year there's there's this incredible amount of fireworks and it, it just goes on for hours. And, you know, I tried to, to prepare him and just told him, you're going to be surprised how many people are out there setting off fireworks at all hours. And all that preparation could not have prepared even me for what we ended up seeing. And I don't know how it was in, in your locale. Most areas, uh, as, as Tom DiLorenzo puts it, all the little mini Mussolini's canceled their town's Fourth of July fireworks. And in fact, you know, the official displays, the parades, the, the gatherings, you can guess what probably happened. Most of those were canceled in interest of, well, we're just trying to keep things safe. And this is, you know, to uh, ameliorate any concerns about COVID-19. OK. <clears throat> but as far as private fireworks displays. Oh, my word. I've never seen anything like it. I, I'm struggling to find the words to describe. Maybe you've seen some of the pictures, that are the, the video that showed up. I know there was some drone footage that appeared on Facebook out of Southern California. And California, of course, not only locked down because of COVID-19, you know, there will be no celebrations, but fireworks, of course, strictly prohibited. Why? Because, well, they're dangerous and, of course, there's, there's terrible fire hazard and so forth. The the drone footage <clears throat> just shows explosion after explosion as far as the eye can see. You're talking in a city of two million people. Just every, It looked like every person with a backyard was setting off fireworks and, and doing so without end. And that was the same kind of thing that I was seeing from my vantage point. I live along the Wasatch Front in Utah. That's the the, the bulk of the state's population lives along about an 80-mile stretch. And seriously, as far as you could see in every direction, it was just a huge burst of fireworks coming up and, and the sound. I mean, it, it was the siege of Fallujah all over again, and it just went on for hours. I mean, I feel terrible for my dog. My dog apparently has some pretty deep anxieties about fireworks, but I have never in my life seen so many fireworks going off for such a long time and, and in every direction. And OK, I don't want to get weird. OK, I don't want to I don't want you to think I'm, I'm not a psychic or anything like that. But as I was sitting there looking at it, I had this very clear impression, this thought pop into my head several different times over the course of the evening. And the thought was. Pay close attention to what you were seeing. As in, remember what you are seeing commit it to memory, record it and understand you will not always be able to take this for granted. You will not always be able to see celebrations like this. And it wasn't a, you know, major bummer like, oh man, this is taking all the fun out of it. It was equal parts exhilarating and and sobering. And I mean, you know, maybe, maybe the COVID-19, you know, epidemic or pandemic has had something to do with this. People have been locked down. They've been artificially, you know, shoehorned into this, this little corner of fear. And well, now you can only do this and you can only do that. And so maybe people were letting off some steam. The, the fireworks restrictions are, are just as strict in my home state of Utah. But it didn't matter. People got out there and just absolutely let fly. And by the way, I don't think there were, as far as I know, I did hear some sirens in, in the night, but uh, as far as I know, nobody managed to burn the place to the ground. But knowing that there were no government-sponsored fireworks, it was like everyone with a yard put on their own display for hours. And people may have even learned something, as Thomas DiLorenzo points out, you don't always have to wait for government to do everything for you. So that was the bright spot. But there were some other things, and I I, I thought it was interesting. I wasn't the only person who had This uh, this sense of soberness in celebrating the fourth, because we kind of take it for granted, don't we? I mean, you know, I'm I'm not trying to I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. That's not my goal here. I just want you to to consider that the fourth of July is something that uh, we just we look forward to every year. Number one for most people, because we're going to get the day off. And then there's parades and there's music and there's fireworks and there's, you know, cooking outdoors, picnics or camping with family. And certainly people were taking advantage of that this year. But because of the current events going on around us, it's very clear that uh, for a lot of people, there was some deep reflection going on. Uh, My friend, Jessie. She. Oh, wow. She she nailed it. She said, I usually look forward to the fourth. This year, I haven't. She says, I think because it seems so false to celebrate freedom when it's gone. She says, never in my life have I seen such a clear and defined moment, a moment when I realized that freedom's shadow has dissipated. We've lived in the blessings of a history of independence and individual rights given by God, affording us opportunity like was not found anywhere else in the history of the world. Imperfect and human to be sure, but the best available. And she says those rights under God, protected by government, have been under attack from the beginning, and the fall is complete. She says, I've avoided thinking about the fourth because the memory of what we had is a painful contrast to what our circumstances are today. But she said it dawned on me this morning that regardless of the country I reside in, the choices of voters for the past five generations, the actions of others who destroy and disrespect my country... I have independence in my soul. She says, my freedom is found in Christ, my peace in his gospel, though my fellow countrymen wade through fear and dark times, fighting an enemy we can't see. She says, by the way, I'm not speaking of the virus. I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. God bless all who love America because they love freedom. If America is to be great, she must be good. And this perfectly encapsulates what I think so many of us have been feeling. Eric Moutsos, who has been such a a driving force in helping to, you know, bring the Utah business revival into uh, into being and then and then have tremendously successful gatherings all over the state in spite of all the pandemic restrictions. And by the way, no positive cases traced to these events. You know, I know people. Well, you know, it's very dangerous and reckless. Nothing can be shown to have come from those gatherings. But Eric was was stating some very similar sentiments about, you know, this. Th- th- it's hard. There's a there's a cognitive dissonance going on in our minds as we try to hold two thoughts simultaneously. We're celebrating how wonderful it is to be free. What a great feeling it is to live in America, the freest place on earth, the home of the free, the land of the brave. You know. Um it's it's fleeting though. And I think most people who have uh haven't you know succumbed entirely to, to partisan politics or to uh to a, a, an ideology of envy can recognize that those vaunted freedoms are very much in decline. And by the way, this is not a call to, to throw our hands in the air and say all is lost and you know, we, we can't uh, do anything from this point forward. But at some point, if you want to get to a particular destination, if you want to better your situation, now, now I'm going to sound like I'm, you know, coming straight out of the AA manual here. Before your situation can improve, you first have to be willing to admit where you are. And for a lot of us, that's a really tough thing. Because all our lives we've grown up with the tunes of Lee Greenwood ringing in our ears about how I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. But the reality is it's getting much tougher to maintain that illusion of freedom in the face of what we are up against. Not only from, you know, these uh, militant uh, communist activists out there burning cities, looting and threatening people. But from the very people within our government whose jobs, who who take the oath to protect those freedoms. So if you were feeling a little bit of that, uh, you know, strange tug of war in your mind about, you know, uh, we're celebrating freedom, but it seems like there's a little bit less to celebrate this year. You're not alone. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about why it's worth celebrating freedom as well as why it's worth upholding those principles. Welcome back. This is the Brian Hyde show. I'm so glad you could join me today. We're going to talk a little bit about the 4th of July and I, I don't spend a lot of time giving acknowledgement to politicians. In other words, I don't want to carry water for a particular party. I don't want to carry water for a particular politician. I am going to spend a little bit of time later in this hour talking about president Trump's speech at Mount Rushmore on uh, the evening of July 3rd. Now it's rare that I would go to hear any politician speak But I was curious to hear what the president would have to say. And my wife and I gathered around and a couple of our kids, you know, came by. We watched uh, the streaming audio and the streaming video. And I have to say, that was one of the most remarkable speeches that I can remember within my lifetime. Not because Donald Trump gave it, but simply because of some of the truths that were being acknowledged. And it's so rare to hear some of these truths acknowledged from that highest office in the land. And we'll talk a little bit not only about the president's speech which which may very well have been his finest speech but we're going to talk about the press and and the media and its absolute detachment from reality in how it reported on that speech. That's coming up. In the meantime Let's take a moment here to talk about why America's birthday deserves to be celebrated because that was really the that's really the the tug of war. The, the friction point right now is, well, for those of you who are celebrating America, all you were celebrating was a racist state or a racist nation that was founded only for white supremacy. No, seriously, that's the narrative that some are putting forth. And leave it to our friend Lawrence W. Reed, Larry Reed from the Foundation for Economic Education to help set the record straight. He had a marvelous article published on Saturday. Yes, America's birthday deserves to be celebrated. The gist of what he's saying here, America is defined not by slavery, but by the ideals that ultimately abolished it. He says, dear Lucky, that's right, If you are an American, this letter is addressed to you personally. You are an incredibly lucky person, and he says it's time you cheer up about it. I understand if you're feeling a little beat up right now. Five months of coronavirus lockdowns have exacted a toll on us all. Bad as it's been, it's not the terrible yellow fever epidemic of 1793 or the hideous black death of the 14th century. Humanity survived those and countless other health disasters and then moved on to accomplish unprecedented progress. If you need your virus-assaulted spirits lifted, he says, visit the new Life is for Living Project website. Read some of the stories there from your fellow Americans about how they're moving on, and consider adding one of your own. Larry says, I did so just yesterday. He says, more than any other holiday of the year, today is one that should put us all on the same page, reveling in our common identity as the luckiest people in history and on the planet. Where does our luck lie? He asks, it's in liberty. Liberty is our most precious possession because it is the blessing that begets all other blessings, human dignity, decency, prosperity, and more. And he says, we've truly lucked into liberty because we owe it to the struggles of many who came before us to those who struggled against Jim Crow, to the abolitionists who struggled against slavery, to those who founded America 244 years ago by issuing the Declaration of Independence, which proclaimed, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Larry Reed says, from its birth, America was philosophically rooted in the ideal of liberty. Above all, this is a day to celebrate this fact. Yet raucous voices from the streets, the halls of Congress, and the ivory towers of academia are telling us otherwise. America, they say, is not something to celebrate, but to be ashamed of. And the American tradition is fundamentally rooted not in liberty, but in slavery. And he says that is quite simply wrong. Slavery is always and everywhere a monstrous outrage a mortal sin, and an unconscionable stain. It is a stain on the honor of any individual who participated in it, including many founders, and of any institution that installed it. And slavery excused by racism is especially vile. But to say that America is defined by slavery is an egregiously unjust falsehood. Tragically, slavery has been one of human history's most commonplace but deplorable institutions most people who have ever lived were serfs, slaves, or subjects. Meaning they lived in fear that someone more powerful than they could snuff them out with impunity. Slavery has afflicted the Americas, Europe, Asia, and Africa. Indeed, as any careful and unbiased survey of the world history will will yield, only one continent has never suffered the scourge of slavery. Antarctica. That's because nobody lives there. The fact that slavery has been so commonplace throughout the world and throughout human history in no way excuses the slavery that was perpetrated by any Americans. But it does mean that slavery is not what makes America characteristically exceptional. To the contrary, what makes America exceptional is that it was the first country to be founded expressly on the ideal of liberty. The founders did not fully live up to that ideal, he says, even to the extent of some of them owning slaves. And the founding did not fully implement it, even to the extent of instituting slavery in many of its laws. But the enshrining ideal of human liberty was a heroic, epical step forward. It set in motion the revolution that would lead eventually to the liberation of all. The Declaration and its principles were cited by abolitionists in the 19th century and civil rights activists in the 20th. Now, Larry Reed says we still have work to do to make that revolution complete but that's a task we share with every corner of the world and there are all too many places where it's not even a priority if you're an american you are lucky to be among the freest people the earth has ever known you are lucky to be in the vanguard of a centuries-old struggle to unshackle the human race if we haven't yet achieved perfection all should know that the great majority of us are still working on it still keeping our eyes on the ultimate prize and doing our best to make it a reality and if that's not good enough then at least think about this fact A century from now, people will look back on you and likely find that you weren't perfect either. So he says today, don't wallow in shame or in the shaming of others. Cheer up, lift your chin up, and let this be a day to celebrate the American tradition of liberty for all. Not only will that be a lot more pleasant, it will boost our resolve to get ever closer to realizing its ideals. By the way, he has a couple of uh, great links. At the end of this article, uh, including The Essence of Americanism from Leonard E. Reed, brilliant essay, life-changing, you should read it. The True Meaning of Patriotism, also by Larry Reed, Uh, Why the Fourth of July Belongs to Thomas Jefferson, and America's Republic, How the Great Experiment Came About, and How We Keep It. I think we need to be reminded of this just because I know that doubts have been created in some people's minds. I mean, you've got, what, the 1619 Project from the New York Times, which deliberately distorts American history, essentially saying, well, America didn't really start until the first slaves arrived, you know, in in uh, in America. Not true. And it's time for people to speak up and to, to make their voices heard in and, and saying that... Uh, the founders were imperfect people, this much we understand. But as I look at history, and particularly as I look at it through through my particular uh, religious you know, point of view, I see that throughout history, great things have been accomplished. And I mean, God has had caused great things to happen through imperfect people. And not to apologize for slavery, but just to remind you, the founding generation was not the generation that invented chattel slavery. It was the world that they were born into. And like us, there were many circumstances that they were born into over which they did not have immediate control. And so, like us, they muddled along and did the best they could. But it is undeniable and it needs to be absolutely asserted and put out there so people will recognize they may have owned slaves. They may have codified slavery to a degree, even in the founding document, the Constitution, with that three fifths uh, compromise. But they also set forth the groundwork to abolish slavery. They gave us the tools to correct the problems that need to be corrected. And for that, we rightly owe them a deep debt of gratitude. We'll be back right after these messages. like that. We are back. Welcome to the Brian Hyde Show. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the president's speech on July 3rd at uh, Mount Rushmore. And I don't spend a lot of time, I don't carry water for Donald Trump. If you were to ask me, Brian, are you a Trump supporter? I would have to say, in all honesty, no, I'm really not. But I have great admiration for the message that he delivered on July 3rd. And, and I also have not just a small amount of curiosity at the intense hatred. I mean, you want to talk about the two minutes hate right out of 1984, the, the way that certain mainstream media organs went after that speech, the way that they portrayed it was probably the strongest possible evidence I have yet seen of a complete disconnect from reality and the transformation from press into pure propaganda. It's really remarkable. And it's a, it's kind of dangerous as well. So I, I'm looking on with both a sense of wonder as well as a sense of horror at, at what I'm seeing. Before I share some of the thoughts on his speech, I just want to make an observation here. I don't understand people who allow um, not just President Trump, but but any political figure to occupy so much of their mind, to live rent free in their heads to where they are just consumed. Every moment of every day. And look, we all know people who are like this. I knew people who were like this during Barack Obama's presidency. People who were like this during during George W. Bush's presidency. And, you know, they, they just, they live to find something wrong. Something is wrong in the world, and it all inevitably comes back to this politician, this president. And Trump is a pretty brash individual. Man, he speaks plainly. He, you know he is no stranger to controversy diplomatic. No, that is not one of his strongest qualities. He's a very uh, brash, very decisive individual. And, and that's just part of the persona that he has built over the years. And of course it's going to rub some people the wrong way. Having said that though, the amount of anger and hatred and negativity directed towards him since he was a candidate starting back in 2015 and all through the 2016 campaign. And then after even he was elected It's been unprecedented. I remember how the press would go after Reagan. I remember, you know, how they went after George H.W. Bush. It's it's unreal. And yet, uh, this speech that was given at, at Mount Rushmore, look... I rolled my eyes a little bit at uh, all the flybys and all the, you know, the Zoom wows and stuff. But this it's not out of character with Fourth of July celebrations, right? We respect the symbols of the nation's power. Sometimes I think that respect actually crosses the line into worship. But that's not what I want to talk about at the moment. What President Trump gave at Mount Rushmore on Friday evening was a magnificent affirmation to Americans that what we have always cherished, the best of our nation, is still cherished. And with that, he also gave a warning shot to those people who hate and despise everything that our, that our nation stands for. Now, I'm talking beyond the politics here, right? This is more than just what the government stands for. It's the, the principles and practices that made liberty possible. Monica Showalter, writing for AmericanThinker.com, has a terrific article about the president's finest speech or Trump's finest speech and a press that beclowns itself in boiling hate. And I want to share just a few excerpts from this with you, because this is this was one of those interesting flashpoints for the holiday. You want that juxtaposition of people who absolutely loathe everything that that uh, American ideals represent Versus those who would try to preserve it. And I don't have to tell you, if you if you love the ideals on which this nation were founded, you are very much on the defensive. You are very much being backed into a corner. But the remarkable thing about the president's speech is really it was very nonpartisan. There wasn't any mention of Democrats or Joe Biden. It wasn't a it wasn't a a, an election stump speech, in other words. Monica Showalter points out it was inclusive, celebratory of people of all races, celebratory in particular of the singularity of America being great for how all people have contributed. It was also big hearted, magnanimous, celebrating all the range of achievements of the country. And she says, yet it also did the thing that Trump does best, which is to call out and identify authentic enemies, stating that he knows who they are, what their game is, and that he won't let them win. In this area, she says that was necessary shadow. But she says Trump began by restating the entire meaning of the Independence Day holiday. This is from his speech. He said, our founders launched not only a revolution in government, but a revolution in the pursuit of justice, equality, liberty and prosperity. No nation has done more to advance the human condition than the United States of America. And no people have done more to promote human progress than the citizens of our great nation. It was all made possible by the courage of 56 patriots who gathered in Philadelphia 244 years ago and signed the Declaration of Independence. They enshrined a divine truth that changed the world forever when they said, All men are created equal. These immortal words set in motion the unstoppable march of freedom. Our founders boldly declared that we are all endowed with the same divine rights given us by our Creator in heaven, And that which God has given us, we will allow no one to we will allow no one ever to take away ever. End quote. When's the last time you heard a president talk like that? I can't remember it. Maybe Reagan. Reagan, it seems like would would have used similar language. But how many years has it been? Right. I mean, it's been a while since Reagan was was in power. And then the president delved into this incredible appreciation of America's presidents on Mount Rushmore, the memory of which has apparently grown so forgotten in the wokester educational world that it became fresh and new when Trump spoke of it, starting with George Washington. He says, before these figures were immortalized in stone, they were American giants in full flesh and blood, gallant men whose intrepid deeds unleashed the greatest leap of human advancement the world has ever known. Tonight, I will tell you, and most importantly, the youth of our nation, the true stories of these great, great men. From head to toe, he said, George Washington represented the strength, grace, and dignity of the American people. From a small volunteer force of citizen farmers, he created the Constitutional Army out of nothing and rallied them to stand against the most powerful military on earth. Through eight long years, through the brutal winter at Valley Forge, Through setback after setback on the field of battle, he led those patriots to ultimate triumph. When the army had dwindled to a few thousand men at Christmas of 1776, when defeat seemed absolutely certain, he took what remained of his forces on a daring nighttime crossing of the Delaware River. They marched through nine miles of frigid darkness, many without boots on their feet, leaving a trail of blood in the snow. In the morning, they seized victory at Trenton after forcing the surrender of the most powerful empire of the planet— at Yorktown, he says, "The most George Washington did not claim power but simply returned to Mount Vernon as a private citizen. Sorry, that kind of ran together, but he 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 gives this this incredible accounting of the kind of character that George Washington brought to the table and By the way, if you have ever read George Washington's actual writings, if you ever read Thomas Jefferson's actual writings." The one dimensional caricature of, well, they were slave owners and that's all you need to know about them disappears, you know, like a burp in the wind. It's it's just it's an attempt to try to deflect away from their true greatness, even though they were flawed, even though they did own slaves. You learn that there's much greater depth to their story. And it becomes very clear that those who who are so determined, you know, to tear down and to discredit everything they've done really don't have a leg to stand on in the sense that uh, the, the, the greatness of these men was not dependent on whether or not they owned slaves. It was dependent on what kind of character did they have and what kind of change did they affect in the world into which they were born. Now, as Monica Showalter points out, it was a stellar reminder And he didn't stop at the four presidents depicted. He did what he always does. He celebrated people from uh, all walks of life, heroic people like Clara Barton, the Tuskegee Airmen, Wild Bill Hickok, Alan Shepard, Elvis Presley, Harriet Tubman, an amazing and wonderful array. Even people who don't really support Trump, like Rich Lowry, were impressed Rich Lowry tweeted a superb speech, tough, but appropriately so, gave our forefathers their due, invoked the wonders of American culture, and accurately stated the stakes of the culture war, Trump's best since Warsaw. And there's a nice transcript linked here in the actual, um, in the article, which you will find in the show notes at lovingliberty.net. But Monica Showalter says, in the midst of that, that reminder of what made America great, something that was common knowledge in the pre-COVID, pre-wokester era. The New York Times could only call his speech dark and divisive and express its deep upset that Trump didn't spend his 4th of July speech at Mount Rushmore talking about coronavirus instead. Yeah, they were especially upset that he called out far left fascism. Apparently, any rejection of looters, rioters, cancel culture and all the cultural rot in our educational system, that's considered divisive. And these uh, miscreants, she said, just wanted to be included, not including them hurt their feelings. It's a remarkable article. I strongly recommend that you take a look at it. Again, it's in the show notes at lovingliberty.net. This is The Brian Hyde Show. We'll be back right after this. Once again, welcome back. This is The Brian Hyde Show. In the last segment, I was talking about President Trump's speech at Mount Rushmore. It was uh, a remarkable speech, maybe one of the best that I have heard within memory from uh, an American president, and not so much because of who delivered it. I hope that's clear. It's not a matter of, well, you know, <laughs> because uh, Trump walks on water and, you know, teaches crippled children to walk in his spare time. No, it was uh, he spoke truths. And truth is truth. Truth. I don't care who spoke it. If someone is speaking the truth, it's, it's worth acknowledging and celebrating when, when uh, important truths are spoken. And boy, did he deliver. But, of course, this has, has awakened a depth of hatred in both the media as well as uh, those forces that are working so hard, not just against Trump, but against the whole ideals of American liberty, the, the principles and practices that make liberty possible. And you saw that on full display the venom from CNN oh this was this was great CNN uh, describes uh, Mount Rushmore as a monument of two slave owners crazy yes the president will be delivering his speech at a at a monument to two slave owners on land stolen from native americans absolutely incredible i don't know what it is that that drives the animus i mean look if i if i want to maybe wax a little religious for a moment I think the dynamic is absolutely satanic. I think that uh, the divide that you see playing out before us is nothing more than an extension of the eternal battle between light and darkness that has been going on since long before any of us existed. And I think you're just seeing it take, you know, shape through various conflicts that we see with human faces and human names and personalities. But my goodness, read the article from Monica Showalter, Take a look and, and just, you know, see for yourself. She has the tweets. She has the documentations there to show the incredible antipathy, not just toward Trump. But, oh, he delivered a divisive culture war message. How dare he do this? He called out the people who were doing their best to tear this country down. And I think the best thing he did, though, was he reminded us of the things that made our nation great And the things that are worth celebrating. So our challenge at this point, at least for you and me, if we're serious about upholding the things that have have contributed to, to the greatness and the goodness that are brought about through liberty. We've got to be the kind of people who are known more for what we stand for than who or what we're against. That can be tough, especially when people are in your face, spittle flinging and going after you tooth and nail to try to tear you down. I mentioned Le- Leonard uh, Reed's uh, Essence of Americanism. That's a great place to start because he talks about if you want to be an influence, you've got to be the kind of person who knows their stuff well enough that people start to seek you out for your input and for your advice. That's how you'll know you're doing it right. And if you're not there yet, that's OK. We're all a work in progress. But we've got to be the kind of people who qualify for liberty. Liberty. And that means we can't be driven by, you know, a deeper, stronger, blacker hatred than whatever our enemies are throwing at us at the moment. All right, I'm going to hop off the soapbox for a moment here. want to talk to you a little bit about uh, an article from Ethan Yang, which appeared on the American Institute for Economic Research website, Smash the COVID Orthodoxy. This goes part and parcel with the whole idea of if you want to preserve your liberties, if you want to preserve all that is good and worthwhile... This is one of the things that's going to have to be developed or be uh, defended, rather. And we've got to expand on this by, by remembering. I love how he puts this. He says, for better or for worse. The American Institute for Economic Research was developed or was built for a time just like this. He says, in many ways, the date is 1933. The world is having a debate over whether to adopt communism or fascism. The intellectual class scoffs at the ideas of economic and social freedom, believing that society had advanced toward a new era where everything and anything could be planned. They assert that with a scientific and awesome hand of government, we could conquer nature, eliminate strife, and construct a new world. Now he reminds us. Back in 1933, President Roosevelt unleashed an unprecedented assault on the principles of sound economics and limited government. Against vast criticism and tremendous controversy, a young U.S. Army colonel and MIT professor by the name of Edward C. Harwood spoke out against the regime and founded a small research institution, AIER. He challenged John Maynard Keynes, an economist who enjoyed near-deity status, as his ideas served as the foundation for the new order. Harwood's defensive markets of sound fiscal spending, of responsible monetary policy would soon be joined by an ever-growing number of organizations and individuals, all because one man decided to defy the orthodoxy, to speak truth to power and ask the necessary questions that no one else would. His legacy, along with the ideas he wished to preserve, have survived and continue to grow in support. And here he connects the parallel of that time with our time. Once again, he says AER finds itself as one of the AIER sorry finds itself as one of the few, if any, organizations willing to ask the right questions and say what others are afraid to say. We face a new orthodoxy where silence and compliance has and will continue to produce dire consequences. The conversation regarding COVID-19 has been dangerously one-sided, to the point where critical considerations and questions have been largely relegated to the fringes. A failure to dis- to diversify and open up the national discourse, much like Harwood did, will have long-lasting consequences that will extend far beyond the current crisis. Now here, Ethan Yang says, perhaps the ongoing strategy regarding social distancing and lockdowns is the best we can do, but we'll never know unless there's ample room for diversity of thought. The gatekeepers of news and information should be asked, why has there been a sudden shift from COVID-19 deaths To simply new cases. He says perhaps it has something to do with the fact that the death rate is less than a third of where it was during the peak. When we examine the data regarding those who are most likely to die from COVID 19, we find that the median age of death is situated around 75 years old and above bracket, which also sits around the average life expectancy in the U.S. We also find that 43% of all deaths in the country occur at nursing homes, which in their entirety hold less than 1% of the total population. Now to put that into context, Gregory Van Kipnis writes, deaths expressed as a percent of those living in medical care institutions is 0.682%, 2% rather, more than 50 times the death rate of the rest of the population at 0.012%. The death rate for the overall population, are you sitting down? 0.022%. And Ethan Yang says, perhaps the conversation should be around protecting nursing home residents and not shutting down the economy. Perhaps we shouldn't have sold. We shouldn't be sold a false dichotomy that we need to choose between getting a haircut and saving someone's life. He says, when it comes to flattening the curve in regards to deaths, we've not only flattened it, we have driven it into the ground. However, instead of celebrating The COVID orthodoxy, the World Health Organization, the U.S. government, the intellectual class, their corporate allies, and the mainstream media have just shifted the goalposts, instead pivoting to concerns about new cases and threatening to renew the lockdowns. If the COVID orthodoxy wants to pivot to talk about rising cases and hospitalizations there are still very important questions to be asked. First, there must be methodological clarification, such as the fact that because testing has become more available, that will inevitably lead to more reported cases. Furthermore, when we hear about a record high number of infections, we must also clarify that any increase in COVID-19 cases leads to a new record high. Also, we must ask why, where and why are the new cases appearing? According to the New York Times, cases of the coronavirus in prisons and jails across the U.S. have soared in recent weeks, even as the overall daily infection rate in the nation has remained relatively flat. The number of prison inmates known to be infected has doubled during the past month to more than 68,000. Prison deaths tied to the coronavirus have also risen by 73 percent since mid-May. Now, Ethan Yang says, again, this is a critical point of information that draws into question the claim that normal people going out and living their lives is leading to a catastrophic spread of COVID-19. However, he says there's still little talk about the abhorrent state of our prison system in addressing rising infections. We're still sold a narrative that going out for lunch is spreading the virus, not terrible management of nursing homes, prisons or meatpacking plants. Now, there's a lot more to this article. It's very detailed and it's very worthwhile. But the gist of it is that orthodoxy has to be challenged. Ethan Yang says in a time of industrial levels of draconian lockdown measures of fear mongering and politicization, a failure to speak out against the orthodoxy will only lead to more pain and suffering. He says perhaps the status quo is the best way forward, but we'll never know unless we have more voices in the conversation. When this is all over, history will remember those who were brave enough to speak out, insightful enough to weigh all the options, wise enough to consider the future, and most importantly, those who stood for principle. Again, this is from Ethan Yang. I'll have it included in the show notes at lovingliberty.net. Be very worth your while to give it a look and maybe share it if it uh, you know hits the right nerve.